0: Hi everyone, Judge Andrew Napolitano here with Judging Freedom. Today is Wednesday, May third, two thousand and twenty-three. It's about two thirty in the afternoon here on the east coast of the United States. Larry Johnson joins us again. Larry, thank you very much for your time. Welcome, uh, since, of course, since last we uh, spoke, uh, the news media is focusing on uh, a drone strike or what appears to have been a drone strike on a building in the Kremlin. Uh, some are saying this was an attempt to assassinate President Putin. Others were saying, well, everybody knows that though he has a grand, magnificent apartment there, he doesn't really uh, live there. Right. Uh, in, in either case, it appears as though this was not successful. But before we look at it, we have a couple different views of it from Western media and from uh, Russian media. What are your initial thoughts on these reports now confirmed and these allegations?
1: It's been 82 years since the Russians faced let's call it an armed aircraft overhead, trying to bomb something in Moscow. Mm. And that it is that significant. Uh, Yes. No, no loss of life. And it was not, it was not a large explosive device on board that drone and the odds that it could have killed Putin, I think are very, very, very remote, but the symbolism of it and the effect the electric effect upon the body politic in russia cannot be and should not be underestimated because as i said the, the last the last one to pull something like this were the nazis and they did it as they uh, came up to the the outskirts of moscow in december of 1941 and and the the, the soviet then were able to stop them so This entire conflict with Ukraine has been portrayed as a a fight against neo-Nazis. The Ukrainians, I think, made a grievous error in launching this attack because it is not going to uh, cause splits within Russia. It's going to galvanize the people. I've never seen such outrage being voiced across the board by different politicians. It is almost uh, equal to the kind of reaction we had here in the United States in the aftermath of the nine eleven attacks, the po- political partisan differences temporarily fell away. It was seen as this could, could complete attack upon our soul, upon our nation, and that's why exactly would, how the uh, why would
0: this. Ukraine military, if it was the military, uh, do something like this, knowing that the likely response could be catastrophic to the military and to Kiev itself.
1: I think they're hoping that the Russians will retaliate in a way that will increase the odds that the United States and NATO insert themselves into this war. You know, it's doing something like uh, having the United States put the 82nd Airborne in Odessa, landing U.S. troops in what's now currently Ukrainian territory, uh, hoping that it will uh, elicit something like that.
0: Would uh, the Ukraine... Military or intelligence, whoever sent this, these drones, there appear to have been two of them. We'll look at them. We'll look at them from a couple of different angles in a moment. Uh, Have run this past uh, the U.S. Defense Department first?
1: No, I don't think so. Uh, I can't. um, While we've raised some questions about the level of Secretary Austin's intelligence, he's not that stupid. Uh, the, 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 I mean, you, mean, you mean his
0: intellect or the intelligence materials available
1: to him? The, 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 co- the combination of the two. I mean, <laughs> this, this is the, 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 the U.S. officials recognize that this is crossing, as one of the Russian politicians said, this isn't crossing a red line. This is a stoplight. Uh, and so it's not just Medvedev that's popping off. It is, you know, dozens of, of political officials in Moscow, Putin hasn't said a word. So the, the, the Russian, I think, Putin and the military still, they're going to remain cool and collected. They're not going to do an emotional response. They're not just going to lash out, but it is going to ramp up the response because the politics of it now in, in Russia require it. You cannot attack Moscow on the eve of the celebration of the defeat of the Nazis. Uh, Eighty-two years ago, right, and then right, expect right. this to go unanswered, right?
0: Th- this would be like attacking the U.S. Capitol on July fourth or July third, right before yeah. uh, uh, July fourth parade. All right, let's let's look at this, Gary. You can start running these uh, these clips. This one we're going to see several times. There it is. Now, what do you think caused it to explode,
1: Larry? Uh, it, it looks to me like it was intercepted by something. I, you know. The Russians did uh, six months ago, as I recall, they put air defense systems on the roofs of some of the buildings in Moscow. So they will will have had those systems in place.
0: All right, here's another view from the other side. And we just see it explode. If you look carefully on the very left, you see that dome that we saw in the previous one. Now it's going to close up. It's going to zoom in. There's the there's the dome. Now it looks like there's a little bit of a fire on the roof of the dome. Uh Gary, can you run the first one again, please, which shows the front of the dome. There we go. So there appears to be some sort of a fire in the rear. Is that the debris from the drone, or did the drone attack the build the domed building?
1: Yeah, it looks it looks to me like that's debris. Uh even of fuel that may have been on board a limited amount but uh it did not impact the dome and explode as a result of that
0: where where would this have been sent from i mean uh moscow is you know technically in europe but it's it's nowhere near the russian uh border
1: well it's about i i think the distance from ukraine uh from the ukrainian border over to moscow is about 300 miles 350 miles, so it is feasible, conceivable that a drone could fly that far. Uh, what's inter- what's going to be interesting is recovering the parts of the drone. Whose drone was it? Who made it? Was it the Turkish uh, Bayracker Was it made by the United States? Was it made by Poland? Was it made by Ukraine? If, if there is any other country than Ukraine involved with the manufacture of that drone, then that also creates increased likelihood of this conflict expanding, because it it is now that country that made that drone is going to share a responsibility for launching this attack.
0: Is there any chance uh, that this is a false flag intended by Russian nationalists to pull President Putin to the right and to cause him to lose his restraint and unleash uh, the military to destroy Kiev?
1: That... You you have to consider that as one possibility, but but I think the uh, the desperation at this part on the part uh, uh, on the part of Ukraine is, is so deep that they're willing to take some crazy risks in order to, to try to get this war expanded in a way where they've got NATO actually engaged on their side because they can't do it themselves. They now realize that.
0: Are are they still preparing? <clears throat> for a spring offensive, or, and and you and uh, Colonel McGregor and uh, Colonel Schaefer have both expressed from time to time respect for the intellect, experience, and intellectual honesty, not of President Zelensky, but of his chief military people. Are his chief military people astute enough to say, Mr. President, we'll do what you tell us to, but this offensive you want, it'll be suicide?
1: Uh, I would hope that they would say that. What we are seeing is a dra- a significant uptick right now in attacks all along, and let's call them terrorist attacks. Um, they're the kind of thing that the OSS would have carried out in World War II, blowing up uh, railroad lines. There have been two trains derailed within the last uh, week and a half. Uh, artillery strikes are still continuing against civilian areas, not just in the Donbass, but also inside uh, Russia, Bryansk. Uh, and Kursk so uh, clearly Ukraine right now is stepping up its activity but these are these attacks are pinpricks they're they're not changing anything strategically or tactically on the ground other than making the Russians angry Uh, you know that's what it's accomplishing our uh, mutual friend
0: Tom Lipscomb a journalist who follows this uh, stuff very assiduously uh, and writes in, in a gifted way reports that Russians have been running methodical textbook attacks destroying the assembly area that's the assembly area for the so-called um, uh, spring offensive for 13 brigades so what does that mean 13 brigades that they Russians Ukrainian brigades that the Russians are methodically destroying.
1: So it means it could be anywhere between 60,000 and 24,000 troops. So a brigade can run from 2,000 to 5,000 men, uh, depending. Uh, but they're not all going to be assembled in one area. There are different assembly points around the country. At this juncture, we, the public, the you know, folks on the Internet, we're not sure where the next blow will come, what Ukraine, uh, where they will launch their attack. I am pretty confident that the Russians know where it will take place. They're preparing for a lot of contingencies. And, you know, one thing people continue to forget about, uh, the Russians have a significant force uh, in Belarus uh, Mm. up north. That's been completely quiet. Nobody's paid any attention to that, but that is just another reserve that the Russians could unleash uh, if they decided in the midst of a Ukrainian offensive that it would force the Ukrainians to have to stop and figure out what to do because a force launched from Belarus very well could take Kiev pretty quick. In
0: uh, Tom Lipscomb's article, he quotes the uh, former FBI agent Mark Wauk uh, as saying, Ukraine's professional military knows that the offensive, the the so-called spring offensive, would be suicidal. Ukrainian losses of manpower continue to be extremely heavy. Russia is claiming... Ukraine lost 15,000 men in the, mem- in the month of April. Is that credible? Do Tom and Mark Wauk have this correct?
1: Yeah, no, I think, it's, I think it's very credible. In fact, I think that also accounts for why you've seen a complete about-face on the part of the Polish general, you know, sort of the equivalent of Mark Milley in Poland. Uh, he came out the other day and he said, Roy, there's there's no way Ukraine can win this. They would need at least, in his words, not mine, a two million man army, because they would need that kind of manpower advantage in order to have hopes of prevailing over Russia, not to mention the need for uh, armor, tanks, artillery, fixed wing aircraft, which are non-existent or exist only in very limited supplies. So, even the, the and this general was one of the biggest enthusiastic supporters of Ukraine up until about a month and a half ago, with terms of his public rhetoric. So uh, I think people like him are seeing this and those facts about the losses uh, in April. Zaluzhny, uh the general Zaluzhny, tried to warn Zelensky. Right. Zaluzhny
0: is the commander in chief, the military commander of all Ukraine Correct. troops.
1: Correct. Right. Go ahead, Larry. And he, And he was. He tried to warn uh, Zelensky that, hey, we need to pull our manpower out. And Zelensky, for whatever reason, felt, you know, for political reasons, wanted to keep uh, throwing manpower in there. And they were getting chewed up. Uh, It was, you cannot fire one artillery round as the uh, Ukrainians were doing and then get six or seven back in return and not suffer greater casualties than the Russians. And that's exactly what was going on.
0: Do you think that... uh President Zelensky fears for his life if he were to show an interest in either a strategic withdrawal or a ceasefire and negotiations at a neutral site.
1: Uh, He may be in fear of his life if he doesn't pursue something like that. But the problem they have is I do not see Russia of the mindset now to sit down to negotiate, to say, okay, yeah, let's work things out. We can... You take this and we'll take that and, you know, we'll call it quits. Um, I think Russia, this, this war has been a revelation to Russia about the, the deep seated hatred in the West of all things, Russian, not just Russian actions, but the Russian people, their language recognize that the Ukrainian law is trying to eradicate any use of Russian. You know, who does that? Uh, we have, it's it's inconceivable, but that's what they're pursuing. So I think faced with that, Russia recognizes they've got to eliminate the Nazi foundation that is at the heart of Ukraine's government.
0: Yesterday, uh, the Pope, Pope Francis, made reference to secret negotiations in which the Vatican was participating. And today, the Vatican uh, Secretariat of State Reinforced what the Pope said. There was there were no more specifics than that. I mean, how likely is it that there are secret negotiations? Both of these are Christian countries. Zelensky is Jewish. Uh, 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 Putin is Russian uh, Orthodox. So you right, have Roman right. Catholic, Russian Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox. You have all these variants of Christianity in the two countries. What? Not all of them recognize the Pope. What? What is the likelihood? that the Vatican is actually involved in something meaningful?
1: Uh, I I think it's very low, uh, in part because of the the longstanding enmity that exists between the Orthodox world and the Roman Catholics. I mean, this goes back centuries. And in in light of the recent attacks upon the Russian Orthodox Church in Ukraine, where the vile attacks, uh, almost satanic, if you will, And uh, attacking bishops and priests and shutting down monasteries, robbing them, putting um, uh, their own priests under house arrest. And the Vatican's been largely quiet about that. It has not been speaking with any kind of outrage at what's uh, being taking place. So uh, I don't think the Vatican's going to carry a lot of credibility, at least with the Russians. Let me switch gears
0: uh, a little bit. Uh, to something we uh, discussed at length a, a few weeks ago. I don't know. Time flies. Maybe it's a few months ago. I don't remember when. The Nord Stream Pipeline oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, destruction. Uh, does the West now pretty much concede that Cy Hirsch was right, that it was the U.S. Navy uh, and the CIA?
1: Yeah, they, they've given up trying to sell that the, you know, the SS Minnow was out there with uh, Gilligan and the Skipper blowing it up. Uh, you know, that's gone by the board. Um, you know, what it was so telling is there is no urgency on the part of anybody in the West to actually conduct an open investigation to demonstrate who carried it out because they know if they did that, they wouldn't like the answer they're going to get that it will clearly implicate the United States.
0: Can I, can I add to what is mind boggling and that is the silence of German leaders, both, uh, uh, industrial leaders who whose shareholders suffered because of the destruction of the pipeline, and political leaders, not yeah. a peep uh, out of them. <clears throat> uh, President Putin says, well, what do you expect? The United States still occupies Germany like it did right after World War II. A bit hyperbolic, but you get his point.
1: Right. Well, and, and remember, the, the Green Party is the controlling Uh, Government entity in Germany right now, and they're all they're happy as can be that there's no more natural gas coming in. They they just assume people be sitting, uh, sunning themselves, getting solar power and wind power, and and that's how you create a country that would uh, be modern in theory. Uh, And and in the process, uh, they are creating. It's a swell of political opposition starting to come up in Germany. Uh, So uh, I think we're we'll likely see some upheaval within the, Ger- the German politics this year with a, a replacement of people like Schultz, Baerbach, and others.
0: I haven't had a chance to speak to um, Colonel McGregor since the drone incident that we just watched uh, and talked about, but when we last spoke, which was just a few days ago, he seemed to feel that the war can't go on more than for more than just a few more weeks, no matter what the United States tries to introduce uh, other than boots on the ground if you're going to rely on just Ukrainian soldiers there's just not going to be enough of them to resist right. in other words the the spring so-called Ukrainian spring offensive will be co-opted by a russian movement westward
1: now l- l- let's put this into context judge, judge. okay please the do. U- the US department of defense budget is approaching 850 billion dollars for funding the entire u.s military the money that the united states has spent in ukraine in the last year is of, of around 120 billion think of that it's about 15 percent of our total defense budget it is we cannot continue to spend at that rate and we ourselves are conceding our leaders are conceding that we don't have the factory the industrial base to produce the artillery shells, the tanks, the artillery pieces, the high-Mars rockets, you name it, we do not have an industrial base to produce that in any kind of timely manner. So where is Ukraine going to magically get the weapons that it ostensibly needs to defend itself?
0: Let me ask the unthinkable. The Chinese uh, covet Hawaii or Arizona. Unthinkable hypothetical do we have the military equipment with which to resist that the firepower
1: to resist that Uh, we would if we're defending hawaii Uh, but if we decide to project our force to go to taiwan we don't Uh, and and that's the critical issue here the the united states is well equipped to defend itself in part because of the oceans and the distance and even with respect to hawaii that the Chinese could not mount a naval force that would be undetected, that could approach Hawaii in the way that uh, the Tojo did back in World War II, leading to Pearl Harbor. But uh, the you put your finger, I think, really what, where this conflict is headed. Because if you listen to the rhetoric in the United States, the declining interest in confronting the Russians, growing interest in confronting the Chinese. And that, I think, is... Another catastrophic decision. We can't seem to get off this idea that we need to fight everybody, instead of finding ways to reach peaceful accommodations with other countries.
0: All of this comes from—correct me if—or or challenge it if you disagree—the neocon mindset in the State Department, the Victorian Newlands, the the Tony Blinkens, right, who have wanted to fight these forever. Wars.
1: Yeah. No. I listen. I my, my son went to high school with uh, the son of Paul Wolfowitz. I've I've known Paul since you know, nineteen uh, ninety five he's, he, he's
0: the prince of the. Is he yeah. still alive? He's the prince of the neocons.
1: Yeah, I think he's still alive. Uh, but uh, he was. Yeah, he was one of sort of the founders of it. Uh, the, at least uh, press, pushing that forward. What we're seeing is that all of the various wars that they've been pushing, the war in Yemen, the civil war in Syria, those are coming unglued as far as what the United States could do. And, you know, what's really sort of ironic is what we're watching tr- take place in the Middle East now with the raw rapprochement between the Saudis and Iran is the conflicts that were raging in Yemen and in Syria are starting to die down. The one in Yemen has ended. And all of a sudden we recognize Maybe we were the instigators of the killing and the bloodshed. At least that's the message and perception that's coming across. And the Saudis have, their break with us is so significant that just the other day they announced they're for, having formal diplomatic relationships with Hezbollah, the party of wow. God based in, in Lebanon. Wow. wow. Unheard of.
0: I don't know if your um, friend or former friend is watching, but I did get a note Paul Wolfowitz is alive and well. I'm happy you're alive and well, Paul. Larry and I disagree with you to the core, but I'm glad that you're alive and well. And that will uh, will finish. Larry, thank you very much for uh, jumping in on this, particularly uh, the drone attack. You know, if we get more uh, intel on it, uh, we'll bring you back so you can explain it to our, our good viewers for us. Right, you're most welcome. Thank you, thank you. More as we get it, of course, particularly uh, on the unfolding story of the drone's in the Kremlin. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.